welcome to the Cary Church Podcast. For more information regarding Cary Church, visit www.cary.asn.au. Good morning. The Word of God this morning comes from two two places. First of all, there's a verse from Zechariah 4.6, whom I'm sure many of us have actually heard before. He said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And then the next section is from John chapter 16, verses 5 to 15. And this is Jesus speaking. But now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you're filled with grief because I've said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, you. But if I go, then I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He won't speak on his own, he'll speak only what he hears, and he'll tell you what is yet to come because it's from me that he will receive what he'll make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Well, hi, and always good to be with you. I'm Brian Harris, Service Pastor at Large here at Kerry, and it's uh, my enormous privilege today to be able to unpack these passages. We're going through a little series on discipleship, and uh, my focus today is on lay in step with the Spirit, what it means to stay in step with the Spirit. Now, if you know a little bit more about me, you'd know that I serve as principal of Vos Seminary, and we help to train people for Christian leadership. And um, One of the great things about being in the academic world is that every now and then you get a period of sabbatical leave and you are able to go and see different parts of the world and to to study and to teach in other parts and to see what's happening in other places in the world. And that's happened for me a couple of times. Back in 2011, I went to the US and uh, spent six weeks at Carson Newman University doing some teaching there, but also seeing what they were doing there. And then last last year I was off for 12 weeks uh, to Spurgeon's College in London. Again, doing some teaching there, but also seeing what was going on. And if you ask me how do those two times compare, I would say, well, they they, they were both wonderful, but they were both quite different. And if you were to say to me, what was the difference? I would say it was the rosemary factor. And the rosemary factor is my wife is rosemary, and uh, she was not able to go when I went to the States. Uh, Our children were younger. Uh, We didn't have as much money. There were a whole lot of reasons why she wasn't able to go, whereas last time she was able to go. So what was different about them? Um, there were actually a, a fair number of them. Uh, there were a fair number of things that, 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 that were different there. Um, so when I was in Carson Newman in the States, 
with no rosemary there, I basically just worked and worked and worked and worked. Uh, London, I worked and played and worked and played and worked and played. And I did some things that I probably wouldn't have done otherwise. For example, when we were in London, I went to the Harry Potter shop in King's Cross Station. Why? I have no idea, because I have no zero interest in Harry Potter memorabilia. Uh, anything Harry Potter does not do anything for me, I'm afraid. Uh, but there I was. Uh, because why? Because Rosemary was with me, and she wanted to go there. I went to see Aladdin. Now, no, let me be very, very clear about this. Aladdin is a lovely musical if you're five years old. Uh, kind of... <laughs> If you're an adult, I don't know why you would go and see it, but my wife is perpetually young, so there you go. I had to become a five-year-old all over again and go and see it. I mean, all these things that were different. So, so I didn't do anything like that when I was in the States. I, worked. I won't tell you which time I was more productive, but uh, in terms of... Uh, but uh, enjoyable, London was very, very enjoyable. It was, was absolutely wonderful and a great time. Very, very grateful for it. But it did make me realize that when someone is with you, you live your life differently. You do different things. You do that because that other person is there. And it's a bit of give and take, of course. And, and I'm wanting to put forward just a very simple thesis today. And it's one that Jesus actually implies here. That because we are Christians, we are never alone. We are always with the Spirit. And the Spirit comes and lives inside of us. To ask ourselves is, so what evidence is there that the Spirit is living inside of us? Because, because it is impossible to live with another person and to keep on in exactly the same way. That person being there just changes things. So what change is the Spirit making? Now, now Jesus was very positive about the coming of the Spirit. And if we look at this, this passage, which was read to us by Pam, uh, John chapter 16, uh, Verse 6, you are filled with grief. You're filled with grief because I have said these things. What things that I'm going away, that I'm going to be killed, that there's a very bleak time that lies ahead immediately for me. You're filled with grief because I've said these things. But very truly, Jesus speaking, very truly, I tell you it is for your good. It is for your good. It is for your way. Unless I go away, the advocate, the spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes... He will prove or he will convict the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. So Jesus says, you know, because I am going, I mean, when, when I was here, it was lovely. I've been able to be with you at many times, but there were some limitations. I, for example, would go off and I'd spend the night in prayer on a mountain and then I wasn't with you. Or if I was performing a miracle for this person, it meant that I couldn't be with that person. I had the limitation of being in one place at one time. But when the Spirit comes, the Spirit will be with you all the time. And the Spirit will make God known to you everywhere. This, says Jesus, is actually a very, very good thing. And so we, we need to say, if Jesus is so positive about the coming of the Spirit, why? And what difference should we expect the Spirit to make in our life? And, and, and the first thing that Jesus hints at is that the Spirit is the one who convicts us. The Spirit is the one who convicts us. I, I, I imagine that most people here today have had an encounter with God. Now, it could be that some haven't, and if so, I'd invite you to have a, a real encounter with God. But, but if you have, there was probably a time when you just knew that God was coming and was speaking to you and saying, this is the time, this is the moment, you must follow me. And, and Jesus is, I mean, this passage can be interpreted in a couple of different ways. On the one hand, Jesus is saying, up until now, up until now, all the religious leaders have said, I am not the Messiah. Up until now, the religious leaders have said, I am an imposter. 
Up until now, they've said, I've been able to do miracles because of the demonic. Up until now, all these things have happened. But says Jesus, the spirit is about to do something that will prove that that's not the case or will, or, or will convict the world that that's not the case. What's that that the spirit's going to do? The spirit is going to raise me from the dead. And so the sign of the resurrection is actually this sign that convicts us that actually Jesus is who he said he is. And... Uh, this is the convicting thing that helps us to realize Jesus is much more than a good man. And, and don't misunderstand me here, but if you kind of listen to versions of Christian faith on Q&A or whatever, they're at, at their most sympathetic, and they're not usually very sympathetic, but when they're most sympathetic, they'll say things like, yeah, Jesus is lovely, the Sermon on the Mount is great teaching, and that's very, very beautiful, thank you very much, and it is. But let's remember Jesus is much more than some lovely teaching. Jesus is actually the Son of God. Jesus is actually the one who has conquered death. Jesus is actually the resurrected one. Jesus is the king of the universe. And, and, and this passage is saying that as the spirit comes, he will convict us and he will prove us. And he said, this has been demonstrated. Jesus truly is God. Jesus is Lord. And so the proofs inside of us is that we come to this realization that God is real. God is real. And that Jesus is Lord. And sometimes that happens in very particular moments. I can remember a student, and he went through many, many difficult periods in his growing up stage. But then he said his dad hit a point where he, he went out on a drinking binge and almost killed himself. He just drank so very heavily. He didn't return home that night. He collapsed in a gutter. He woke up in the morning. He was literally covered in his own vomit. And according to his father, he just said that at that moment, when he woke up there in the gutter, he just knew that God just said this word and the Spirit just convicted him and God just said to him, this changes now. This changes now. You've been messing around with me for so long. You're to give your life to me, you're to go to rehab, and you never touch another drink of alcohol again in your life. It changes now. And if it doesn't, you're dead. And if it doesn't, you're dead. And he said that his father just said, boom. That was the moment, and he knew it. And he put himself into rehab, and he never touched another drink of alcohol for the rest of his life, and he served Jesus faithfully. That convicting moment that you know, this is it, God. I've been messing around with God for a while. I've been kind of doing this, that, and the other thing. But there are moments when the Spirit just comes and says, now, or it's gone, or you get no second chances. Now is the moment to do it. And, and Jesus says, this is what the Spirit does when he comes to us and he says, actually, Jesus is Lord. You must bow the knee to me. And, and when that happens, everything changes for us. But of course, it's a journey of more change than just that. So as we go on, Jesus speaks about the way in which the Spirit guides us into all truth. The Spirit transforms things for us. And certainly if you read Paul, for example, and what the Spirit does inside of us, Paul, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, 23, says that when the Spirit comes to us, fruit starts to grow in our life. And he speaks of it like this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And as Paul rattles through all these qualities, what he's saying is that, 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 that you recognize, here I am, and if it were just me, would I be this loving, gentle, kind, peaceful person? Actually, no. It is because there is this other force inside of me. And this force inside of me actually brings change in my life. And it starts, fruit starts to grow over time. 
And, and I find that I'm doing what I would not otherwise do. So, 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 so to go back to our opening illustration, it's kind of like the rosemary factor. You, you find yourself in Aladdin. You find yourself in the Harry Potter shop. No, no, actually, you find yourself more loving, more gracious, more gentle, more faithful. Just a little kind of the things that happen because there is something else that's at work in you. It's not just you on your own. And, and you can see many dramatic ways in which that works out in Scripture. Think, for example, of Peter... You know, he was the leader of the early church. Peter minus the spirit and Peter with the spirit. So scenario one, uh, it's Jesus has been arrested and, and you probably know the account quite well. Jesus has been arrested. Uh, he's warming himself at the fire uh, while he's waiting for Jesus' trial to begin. And suddenly a servant girl comes to him and says, oh, your accent sounds similar to him and I'm sure I saw you with, with, with Jesus. Do you know him? And Peter immediately panics. Now, no, no, no. let's just step back for a moment of analysis of that scenario. So here it is. There's a trial about to take place. Jesus has been arrested. What was the actual risk to Peter? What was the actual risk to Peter? Um, it wasn't non-existent. He was a little bit vulnerable if you're known Jesus, if he was viewed to be a conspirer with Jesus. Things could have gone wrong. Something maybe, you know, wouldn't have been... Uh, safe for, 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 for Peter, but realistically, the risk was very low. I mean, after all, lots of people knew Jesus. What's the big deal of saying, yeah, yeah, you know, I heard him teaching a couple of times. Yeah, yeah, I kind of went around with him. Yeah, I did know him. I'm not going to pretend that I didn't know him. I mean, what are they going to do about that? There were lots of people for whom that was true, and they weren't likely to crucify all of them after. So, so objectively, the risk to Peter is not non-existent, but it's not hugely high or anything. So, so, so what's Peter operating with? Peter's operating with a, a very normal, well, here I am, I'm on my own, it all depends upon me. And his focus is entirely inward, because I am on my own. And so he looks and he thinks, oh my goodness, this could turn dangerous. It probably won't, but maybe it will. And if it does, well, then it could turn very, very ugly. And therefore, I better just say no. And so the servant girl says, do you know Jesus? No, 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 I don't. Are you sure you don't know him? I'm sure you do. No, I absolutely don't. I'm sure I saw you with him. No, and he's doing that because he's alone and he's afraid. And fear is the last word in his life. And it is the word that is allowed to be the dominant word for him. Take two on Peter. So that's Peter before the day of Pentecost. That's Peter before the Spirit comes. Now you have Peter, and it's a very different scenario. It's Jerusalem. And the Spirit has come, and a group of people are speaking in different languages that they've never been able to, and they're hearing languages differently in the way that they've ever heard them before. And uh, there's a great scenario, and there are thousands of people around. Now, now Peter... The old Peter, the Peter who viewed life in his own, if he did that risk analysis over there, he would have looked out and he dangerous situation. Here I am, I'm a private individual. People know I've been linked to the kind of Christian message. There's a public disturbance going on. Now, now, now let's be very clear about this. The Romans were ruthless overlords. This was Jerusalem, a key city. And this was a major event with thousands of people around, a public disturbance. And what the Romans usually did if there was a public disturbance is that they came in and they broke that up with whatever force was necessary. And that could be pretty considerable. 
And so if you're just a straight risk analysis person, you look in and you say, red alert, red alert, red alert, get out of here very quickly, this is dangerous, say nothing, be obscure, just quietly back happening here, that's a little weird, and the Romans aren't going to like it, and I'm out of here, thank you very much. So, so that's what the old Peter would always have done, because the old Peter would have looked inside and said, I'm on my own, and I'm afraid, and I don't know what's going to happen. But the new Peter, the Peter who is not alone, the Peter who is accompanied by the Spirit, looks out and instead of the gaze being inward, the gaze is outward. What is God doing here? What is the opportunity that is here? What maybe could be a compass through this? There are thousands of people here and, and something is happening and, and I think that this is an opportunity to speak a word for Jesus. In fact, I think I could speak a word for Jesus and he finds himself sticking to a crowd of thousands of people and he tells them about Jesus and he does it with such conviction that on that very day, 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus. You, you see, that's the I'm not alone. That's there, the spirit is transforming me. The spirit has convicted me the Spirit has shown me that actually I don't need to live my life on my own. And now the Spirit is, is working away in me so that I am actually a different person. And let's be very clear about it, that as the Spirit does work inside of us, we find that we are transformed. That instead of being people who look at situations from fearfulness, we in fact go back to the, what might God be doing in this? And, and I want to actually be clean. Uh, I have much more, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So, so the spirit guides us in our journey. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. So, so the spirit comes, and the spirit guides us into truth in such a way that, that Jesus is glorified. In other words, the Spirit is constantly at work in our lives, showing us opportunities where Jesus could be glorified. And I move from being this inwardly focused person, it's all about me, and I can be afraid because things might go wrong, to actually this person who's looking outwards. And I'm looking outwards with a different gaze. How can, in the midst of this, and, and you know what, God is constantly giving us opportunities. But the trouble is that most of us lead such busy lives that there are opportunities here, 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 and our life is at such a space that we kind of pass them before we even notice them because we're living so very rapidly. And I found for myself that a spiritual discipline that really can be quite helpful and that, that, that I find beneficial is just to, to sometimes to physically sit down, to, to, to get a chair and you sit down on it and, and you kind of shake yourself out, kind of get, get, get any nervous tension that's away and just say, God, what's been going on in my world for the last week? I missed. Just, just let, you know, once you've been quiet, become quiet. Just say, God, just drop into my mind those things where you were actually wanting to speak to me. And you will be surprised at how often in the last week there have been things that God said, I was trying to get your attention. I was trying to get your attention, you were just a little too fast. You missed it. And so you may go back and it may be maybe an argument. Maybe a time where you were panicking a little bit. It might be a time where you were particularly abrupt. It might be something that you just watched and you saw at a distance and you thought this has got nothing to do with me but God's actually will say actually I was calling you to be involved there I mean there are all kinds of things I'm not going to try and do the Holy Spirit's work for the Holy convicts us and shows us and when we become quieter we sometimes realize that God was was saying to us you 
I'm actually wanting you to do something. Now, now, now just because it's past, doesn't mean that it has to be past. Because as we actually just sit down and take the time, and, and it could be a, I mean, I sometimes do this, as I just sit down and consciously say, say, God, help me to rethink the week. Other times I go for a walk. And as I go for a walk, I just say, God, just, just let me go through the week. Let me think through the last few days. What's been happening here? Were there moments you're trying to speak to me? You, you know, there are different ways it can be done, but you'll find God will bring things to your mind. And, and sometimes it will be very simple things that God will say, flick an email to that person. Send a text to someone. Give a call for coffee. Why not start to do this? You weren't going to get involved in that. Why not actually get involved in that? Do you see that neighbor over there? No, it won't be pushy to go and to just start to talk to them. And you'll find that the Spirit guides us into all truth. But we need to do it with the expectancy because, because here's the thing. We are not living our lives alone. And we must therefore stop living our lives as though we are living them alone. We must remember the rosemary factor, for want of another word. There is someone else here. The, 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 the Holy Spirit is with us. We're we are not on our own. It makes a difference. You, you live life differently when there's someone else with you. And, and the Holy Spirit is with you. And, and we must make sure that we stop him by and listen. So, so what is happening? And, 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 and so we start to actually live more, live pause, live pause, live pause, live pause. Pause. So, so I live and I pause and I listen and I reflect and I discover that God actually is speaking over and over and over again. That's keeping in step with the Spirit. Keeping in step with the Spirit. As we do that, we will discover yet something else. That the Spirit is the one that empowers us to be so much more than we might otherwise have imagined. As Pam said, you've probably heard Zechariah 4.6. It's an incredible verse, the verse that comes to, to Zerubbabel. Zechariah goes to him and says, This is the word of the Lord to you. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's by my spirit, says the Lord. It's not going to be by might. It's not going to be by power. It's by my spirit, says the Lord. What was the background? Well, Zerubbabel, what does the name Zerubbabel mean? Zerubbabel means born in Babylon or born in Babel. Zerubbabel, uh, born in Babel. So we know that Zerubbabel was someone who was born in Babylon, in other words, born during the Jewish exile there. Uh, they were exiled into, into Babylon, year 586 BC. They returned from exile 536 BC. So he's born in that 50-year period. While he was there, he would have heard people speak about the city Jerusalem, beautiful city, the city of God. But when he gets back, he discovers, as the other exiles returning discover, the walls of the city have been destroyed. Jerusalem has been flattened. The temple is no more. Now, not, not Zerubbabel, born in Babel, born in Babylon, so he's never actually personally seen it. He's just heard speak, people speaking about it. And he gets told, well, you've got to rebuild the temple now, Zerubbabel. You're the one who's got to do it. And he's like, me rebuild it? I haven't even seen it. I don't even know what the temple looks like. I've been talking about this great place, but here we are. We're just a destitute group of people who are back from captivity. We are never going to be able to do this. This is too hard. It is too impossible. And I don't even know what to do very much. And in that midst, the word comes to him, it's not by might. It's not by power. It's by my spirit, says the Lord. And because you are not alone, don't say no without remembering that God is with you. Because when you say no... Well, if God is saying no to it, then absolutely say no. But if it's God who's saying you to, should do it, then, then actually 
It's not by your might and it's not by your power, but it's by God's spirit. And when it's by God's spirit, the impossible becomes possible. Mark mentioned earlier uh, that on Friday, uh, Friday, what a day. I mean, extraordinary tragedy over in New Zealand in Christchurch and of how much hatred there is in the world. And, and don't you sometimes feel just hopeless when you see that and you think, God, can we really make a difference in this world? And so many people are committed to just hating one another. And the passage comes and says us, actually, it's not going to be by your might. Certainly not going to be by using force or violence. It's not by might, it's not by power, but by spirit, you can make a difference. The, the other thing that was happening on Friday was that stage two of the building project here at Forestdale was, was officially being opened. I mean, we've been using it for a couple of months now, but here technically was the marking of the opening. And yeah, for those of you, I mean, I recognize that some of you are newer to Kerry, but some of you will remember that, that you know, as Kerry is a group we'd spoken about needing to start another school at some point in the future. 2009, we, we launched a document, Kerry 2014 was our vision of what the, the future was going to be. And we basically felt that God was saying to us, stop talking, now's the time for action. Something's going to happen. And so we set about looking for land. And... Uh, I remember one of the blocks of land we looked at, really not very far from here, that would be a very good site, but $8 million, oh my goodness, God, that's really expensive, don't think we can do it. And then this block, 52 acres, $1.9 million. And it's like, maybe we can do that, maybe we can do that. But of course there was a reason that it was $1.9 But we just had the sense that God was saying... That's going to be part of the story, how these obstacles will overcome. And, and not, not, if you were here, you will know I am not lying. This is what happened. Because people were saying this before it happened. We, we didn't just suddenly start saying this after it happened. If you were here, you would remember. We were saying this actually before. That let's look at these obstacles, and one day we'll be saying, this is how God proved himself to us. And so we did. And the obstacles fell one by one, except the, the, the one. So, so, I mean... It's so funny in, in retrospect, you know, you do your little risk analysis. So we looked at all the obstacles with the land, and in the risk analysis, there was uh, that the roads department wouldn't approve the site. We ranked that as the lowest. This, this probably won't be a problem. I mean, it could be, but it's probably not going to be a problem. So, so there were all kinds of other risks that were ranked at different levels, and as a board, you're trying to make responsible decisions. Lowest risk, um, roads department. Roads department just locks in in a zillion years and over our dead bodies are you going to build in this site here? And it just became this insurmountable obstacle. But as Mark said, uh, March, uh, March 2014, five years ago, suddenly that final bit of resistance went and we're now not just at stage one, we're at stage two and there will be stage three and stage four and stage five and the school will one day have 1,600 pupils and it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by God's spirit, says the Lord. And it doesn't just happen back because actually we are a people of the Spirit, and we are not alone. We are not alone. And when you live actually with this openness to God, what God is doing, you discover actually there's evidence that stuff's happening that wouldn't otherwise have happened. And I am convicted that I'm not just to live for myself, that I'm to live for a different purpose. And I say yes, and I bow the knee to Jesus. And as I do that, I find that the Spirit comes and works inside of me, and I become this person I would not otherwise have become. And you know what? It's even more than that. Sometimes there are things that I never believed would have been possible that I discover actually start to take place. You are not alone. 
And Jesus is saying to us, it's good. It's good that I'm going away. Because if I didn't go away, the Father wouldn't send the Spirit. But if I go away, the Spirit will come to you. To you. And will be with you always. And will be this other presence in your life so that you live a life less ordinary. And I want to say, the Spirit, if you said yes to Jesus, is there. Stay in touch with the Spirit. Pause often enough to listen to what the Spirit is saying. And don't be afraid. Because if God is pushing for something, God will give all the power for it to actually happen. Let's pray together. And just be quiet. It, it could be that I'm making the assumption that you've already said yes to Jesus, but that might be wrong. You might never have bowed the knee to Jesus, and maybe the Spirit is convicting you right now. If so, don't fight that. Say yes. Say, Jesus, thank you that you died for me. Jesus, thank you that you offer me forgiveness. Jesus, thank you that you invite me to a new life. Jesus, I will follow you. Jesus, come into my life and help me to live differently. Oh my goodness. You've kind of lived as though you're on your own. God is wanting to say, stop shoving me to the side. Pause, listen, stay in step with me. Thank you, Jesus, for this great good news that even as you left, you sent us the Spirit. Help us to stay in step with the one who lives within. Amen.